Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey there, everybody. It is that time again, ready or not, for Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. I'm Scott Schaefer. And I'm Marisa Lagos. You can tell it's been a long week. We're a little punchy already. This week on The Breakdown, we have a liberal champion from the state Senate. Her East Bay district includes Richmond, Berkeley, parts of Oakland, as well as San Leandro. That's right. State Senator Nancy Skinner is in the House. Uh, Her issues include, and it's a long list, police accountability, housing and renter rights, and... If you're a fan of the NBA and LeBron James, you might have noticed that her fair pay-to-play bill was signed by Governor Newsom. Kind of a game changer for college athletes. We're going to talk with her about all that and more. But first, Marisa, you know, we've been hearing about these PG&E blackout possibilities for months and months. And this week they became real uh, for people in the Bay Area. And, uh, you know, the governor and uh, all of the state bureaucracy is sort of dealing with it. But it's it's causing some real harm, some pain in terms of uh, businesses and anybody else who relies on electricity. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a couple sort of things happening this week that that are interesting to watch in terms of reaction to this. I think what we're seeing Thursday today is that there are wildfires breaking out in Southern California. And so I think maybe some of the criticism we've heard over recent days of PG&E and whether they were sort of overly cautious could potentially be tempered by that reality, as we see in Riverside County, you know, homes going up in flames. But I do think that there has been some real pushback um, that's happening, not just from the public, but from state policymakers around the question of was this actually necessary? It's so big. It's so extreme. Um, And a lot of people just anecdotally are like, but the wind isn't that high, which isn't totally fair. But yeah, well, and you know, the other reality, too, is that not all wildfires historically have been caused by, uh, you know, by the by the utility lines coming down. So just because the power is out, it doesn't mean there isn't still a risk of wildfire, especially when there's those high winds. And, you know, it's interesting your point about Southern California, you know, rationally, yes, it certainly makes the decision to down, you know, bring down the power uh, look good. But if you're inconvenienced or worse, uh, you get in a traffic accident because the lights are out, you know, or you're the, medically fragile or you're medically fragile, any number of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so it doesn't uh, it doesn't quite work uh, that rationally if you're directly affected. And, you know, we've been talking you and I in the newsroom today about the po- potential political fallout from something like this. Uh, it, of course, reminds me uh, and many of us about uh, what happened to Governor Gray Davis, you know, when he Mm -hmm. dealt with uh, the rolling blackouts that went on for months and months in in, uh, 2001. 
2000, 2001. Of course, he was recalled. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there were some other issues, too. I think Gray Davis was was challenged by. But I do think that this is something that really people understand. It's really easy to get. It is, you know, the, the wildfires, as horrific as they were, the, the longer lasting damage um, really did only affect the people whose houses were lost and the people in those communities. Of course, we all suffered from the air quality and things in both 2017 and 18. But I think that this really puts sort of a point on the criticism of PG&E that has been percolating. And I think that with the thing I'll be watching and I th- and we can bring in um, Senator Skinner in a second to talk about is how lawmakers and the governor are going to react moving forward. I think that there was a sense um, to defer to PG&E and the utilities and to push them really to do these proactive shutoffs because there had been success with them in San Diego, which is a much smaller utility, is a different sort of animal. And I think that now you're going to see a lot of questions about whether the CPUC needs more teeth and, and, and needs to be a bigger partner in terms of making these calls. Well, and also PG&E has a very different image uh, than Southern California That's Edison does. You know, it's an <laughs> understatement. They are not well liked, to say the least. And you mentioned our guest, so why don't we bring in State Senator Nancy Skinner? Uh, welcome, good to have you. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah. So tell us, you know, first of all, what are you hearing, in, uh, you know, from your own constituents about the power? We should not be creating a disaster in order to avert a disaster. And yes, we do not want fires, and I'm sure all of us are very thankful so far we've not had a fire in Northern California. However. Even though PG&E was facing a bankruptcy, they had a year where they could have at least ensured that critical infrastructure was powered when they did a power shutdown and that they had a mechanism to inform people and not have their website crash. I mean, all my constituents were having to call like their state senator, their mayor, whoever, because they could not even get through to PG&E. Do you think there's any potential that the the widespread nature of this, that the way they've gone about it is a political play? Because I think that there is a conversation happening over liability questions. They're obviously in bankruptcy court. It's a very different liability calculation when you're in bankruptcy than if you're not. I mean, and and, and we know that this is a company that has played to win politically in the past. I mean, is that is that a conversation you're going to be having with many, your colleagues? Many, many people have been expressing that. And it very well could be true. I, but independent of that, we still, they are an investor-owned utility that the state of California guarantees a return on investment. And they we, want to increase yeah. that return on investment. Yes, and we guarantee it. And in what we expect in return is grid reliability, safety, and people having power. And, you know, independent of today and the last couple of days, they have consistently not been able to do that now for years. So the governor just last week signed a whole package of bills, 22 bills in all, aimed at dealing with some of these things. Do you feel that the legislation went far enough, or was it just what the legislature could get through? Well, we I think we've not looked. Let, let's just step back from PG&E's circumstance for a minute and know that not only are we in a high fire area here in Northern California, we also have earthquake Um, threats, risk, high, serious. And we need to be able to have disaster preparedness. And I think things like microgrids, meaning smaller areas of our communities that can switch to alternative power without having to have a whole power shortage and such, is really a necessity given this new reality that we are facing an understanding. And I don't think we really have the policies and practices that allow us. So that that. kind of thing was not considered or? Well, it's, you know, usually that type of thing is optimal when you have distributed generation, meaning that you like have solar and then you perhaps have battery backup or a fuel cell or something like that. 
and that's removing and removing some uh, buildings or households for a period of time from the utilities' power. And utilities don't like that, so they've been very resistant. But I think we just have to embrace it because it's really important for disaster. All right, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with State Senator Nancy Skinner. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. And welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer, along with Marisa Lagos. And our guest today, State Senator Nancy Skinner, who represents Berkeley, Oakland. Oakland, a lot of, yeah, and a lot <laughs> of the East Bay. So we want to talk, talk about you. Uh, we'll get back to some issues. But, you know, you, you grew up, I think, in Palos Verdes. Yep, born in San Francisco. I'm a San Francisco ah. native, third generation. Uh, okay, but you grew you up down. Are, yeah, I lived here till I was about um, four. Then we moved to SoCal. I was in the South Bay Torrance area. Then we moved to Palos Verdes and went and, to high and, school in Palos Verdes and then came to Berkeley. And you were like one of nine? Oh, yeah. 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 So where were you in the Yeah, well, I was number three. Number three. Good so. Irish Catholic family. What was that like? I mean, my mom's one of four, and I think that's chaotic, but nine is like insanity. Your word. That's exactly. It was a chaotic household. That's what it was. But, hey, we had fun. Did you feel like, in some ways, like you and your siblings raised each other? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. My mother was either pregnant or, you know, taking care of a baby and pregnant like our whole growing up. And my father ran his own business. We worked at his business. Classic, you know, that's how the business is successful. You have those children working that <laughs> Free you labor. Pay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, yes, we worked for his business. We ran the house. We made, I mean, I made the dinner. Another sister of mine, you know, washed the clothes. You name it. We, yeah. And you were, uh, your dad was a pharmacist? Yes. I think. Yes. Yeah. But and he didn't go to college it, because at the point that he he got his license pre-World War II. He had worked at a pharmacy in San Francisco starting at age nine. And then you could apprentice. And if you learned it, you passed the board. And if you passed the board, you got your license. Huh, so, good for yeah. him. And so he was a Republican, I believe. Oh, yes. And your mom was, what, Democrat. Democrat. So how did that work? My father loved Nixon. We had pictures of Nixon around our house. Really? Like what, just his portrait or what kind of picture? Oh yeah. And ones that were signed. um, Oh yeah. My dad was a Nixon fanatic and my mother was so upset when my father wouldn't vote for Kennedy because of course he was a Catholic. And 
my father was like, Catholic or no Catholic. You know, he's like he's a big government or whatever my father's. My father couldn't stand FDR. Well, interesting. Like, so, so how did he deal with the impeachment of Nixon? Like, well, wh- my, at what point did he say, okay, I'm done so with Nixon? So what happened, my dad's trajectory, he was also totally pro-Vietnam War. And one of my brothers was uh, um, drafted and went to Vietnam um, and very damaged when he returned. Um, and it was many, many years later, many years later, it was probably the 80s, when my father said, you know, Nance, I had that all wrong. That Vietnam War was wrong. The Republicans, he could never give up his registration, but his whole he thought the Republicans was the party that would take care of the little guy, meaning like a small business like him. And then he felt completely abandoned. So is he still alive? No, but he called me a socialist daughter. I was going to say. And he I also, mean, when I got accepted to Berkeley, which I didn't even apply to Berkeley, to Cal, um, yeah, I was redirected. I was <laughs> redirected in 1972. The most popular UC campus was Santa Cruz. I wanted to go there. I was a hippie. That was the <laughs> school that had no grades. That was my number one choice. They rejected me, sent me to Berkeley. Oh my my God. father said, no child of mine is going to that communist school. I'm like, well, Dad, that's where I got accepted. Wow. That's where How I many Santa at. Cruz rejects are sent to Cal? Yeah, yeah well, none, none uh, these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, but I, I read an interview where you talked about being at Catholic school and that the nuns really talked a lot about, you know, sort of more what we would think of now as more progressive principles. Oh, yeah. The liberation theology. Very much. We, I was very fortunate to have nuns who really made, you know, our social conscience, they really um, developed that and strengthened was that. Was that like an awakening for you? I mean, do you feel like that was a, a pivotal yeah, moment? Yeah, I think, I think the combination of those nuns plus Life and Look magazine coming into our house and those photos of whether it was civil rights issues and people being hosed down or dogs put on them or the Vietnam, the My Lai Massacre, all of that. And I was one of those kids that read everything, looked at everything, and I just developed a really strong social conscience. So when you got to Cal then, it was not like a, a huge surprise. I mean, you were kind of, you hit the ground running, I'm betting. Oh, yeah. I was a classic student activist at Cal. Give us an example. Um, I, well, this wasn't in my undergrad, but as a grad student, I'm one of the students that helped form the Graduate Student Instructor Union. Because as a TA, I felt like the it's very to me it's very similar to my student athlete cause. It's like we were not treated as employees; we were treated somehow like this was financial aid. And uh, I was um, got pregnant for with my daughter. As a grad yes, for teaching, and we were had responsibility to teach all these students. Most of the course load really is on the TAs. And uh, anyway, so I was one of the students who helped form that union, and now every graduate student employee, researcher, postdoc, and TA across all the whole UC system is unionized. You also, before you got there, I understand that we're family friends with a priest who was involved with the farm workers movement and knew Cesar Chavez. Was that another? Yes, yes. Well, and and this was fascinating because my mother would take us to anti-abortion rallies at the Coliseum led by the then Cardinal, I can't remember his name, of Los Angeles. And, of course, my father's this Nixon fanatic and pro-Vietnam War. And meanwhile, this family friend, Pascal the Rascal, Father Hardy, <laughs> he, um, he was an uh, um, uh, advisor to Cesar Chavez and a big union organizer. He would take my sisters and I to 
um, farm workers rallies and labor rallies and everything. And he would give me books like the Berrigan Brothers books and all these things. And so and my parents never interfered with his taking us places because he was, of course, the priest. So he won your heart over. Oh, absolutely. interesting. So you mentioned that, you know, you went to Cal for undergrad, um, were pregnant while you were getting a grad student. Um, And then what like so that must have been was that unusual at the time oh yeah no i also ran for the city council when i was the pregnant grad student i know and i was thinking about (laughs) you as we heard all this news about elizabeth warren this week and questions about being pushed out i mean did you feel like that impact i mean you lost that race right was that i lost the first race yeah oh no because i was the top vote getter of the losers (laughs) my coalition my lefty coalition at that time lost every seat but i was the top vote getter so I didn't experience it that way then, and then the next time I ran, I won. You uh, got involved in politics, obviously, when you were a student, and uh, you volunteered on Gus Newport's mayoral campaign. Yes, he was I did. running for mayor of Berkeley. Yes. And you know, how did you? How, he was African American. Yes. Uh, how did working with him and for him? Uh, you know, how did that open your eyes to issues that you care about? You know, even today. Well, I had this um, '66 Plymouth Valiant, which I called Prince Valiant. It was it was not a car that was in good shape. I think one headlight didn't work. I mean, I was a student. I don't have any money, and I have this, you know, lame car. And I would drive him to campaign events. Now, up to this point, I had never been pulled over. I'm driving him to campaign events, and I'm being pulled over. And I'm getting fix-it tickets. I'm getting. I'm like, wow. I like guess more I than once. Get my, yes, more than once. So one day, so one point, second time we're pulled over. After it's over, Gus looks at me and he goes, you know why we're being pulled over? I go, no, because, well, my headlight doesn't work, I guess, you know. And, and he goes, uh, and then he says, look who you're driving. And I'm like, oh. I mean, it was really, I, I was really that naive. Wow. You've told this story to me before, and it strikes me, given a lot of the issues you've worked around um, on, on policing, on racial justice, on civil rights, that that moment, and then I think you also spent some time in Mississippi when you were in college, really has informed like the way you've approached your job for the rest of your life. Is that is that fair? Yes, very much so. Very much. And um, in the when I was being politically active in the Berkeley community and Berkeley Citizens Action was really at its heyday, there was a lot. We, we paid huge attention to trying to uh, you know, dissect racism. We didn't use words like white privilege or that kind of thing, but we, and it was painful. It was very painful, but uh, it was very educational. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer. Along with Marisa Lagos, we're talking to Democratic State Senator Nancy Skinner. Her East Bay district includes Richmond, Berkeley, Oakland, as well as San Leandro. And um, you got elected to the state assembly in 2008. I yes. think, right? Uh, so what what was it that motivated you to run for that seat? And, you know, what did you think you could accomplish when you got up there? Well, I was – um, it took me a long time to decide to run. I had been very active in local politics, and then I worked for many years trying to organize cities to do something about our climate crisis. But I never really hung out in Sacramento, and I just didn't have an appreciation for the role of the state legislature. And I was reluctant to run. But when I finally decided to, um, I was walking in uh, on our beautiful East Bay Regional Park. So I was on a hike with a friend. And she said, you know, well, what do you think you'll try to do? And I said, well, you know, California's prison system, we incarcerate way too many people. That's something I really like to take on. 
And then she said, are you going to campaign on that? And I'm like, mm, probably not. But that's really what I would like to <laughs> so take on. So that's interesting because, you, like, as you said, you had been doing all this work around the environment and climate change. But it, but, but it sounds like the clarion call for you in some ways was the inequality. Very much. Now, when 2008, Fran Pafley was already an assembly member. And in 2006, California's really groundbreaking law, AB 32, Mm -hmm. had already been signed. And I played a role in that. My organization helped organize. In fact, we we brought Prime Minister Blair and uh, Richard Branson from Virgin and various other really um, significant CEOs to an event with Governor Schwarzenegger around that issue. And in effect, what we were trying to do is put him in a position where he had no choice but to sign AB 32. So I, not that I felt that that work was over, but I was sort of like, okay, you know, the climate change stuff, I naively thought, you know, well, that's in good shape. So what we really have to take on is this really terrible problem of how many people we incarcerate. So that was really what was on my mind. But, of course, since I've been in office, yes, we still have the climate crisis. <laughs> and we still, still have prison overcrowding. Yes, yeah, I'm wondering, you know, when Jerry Brown came into office, you had a fellow Catholic, you know, former yes. seminarian who also cared deeply about uh, some of these issues. And, of course, he, were, he was confronted with with this uh, mandate to reduce the prison population. But I'm wondering, did you have any heart-to-heart conversations with him about, you know, your Catholic faith and the idea of redemption and giving people second chances? We didn't so much. You know, it's funny. Um, we talked about uh, he always has a book. Whenever he's walking anywhere, he's got it. And he's, or a bag of books. <laughs> and he would pull one out and he'd go, you know, Skinner, have you read this? And it'd be, and I would have, not always, but, and Often. I'd go, oh, yeah, actually, I did read that. And then he'd look at me like so amazed that, you know, a legislator, people people a legislator read. actually <laughs> read something, right. Um, so we would have those kind of conversations, but we mostly, we started talking about not so much, he never expressed like a regret, but rather his understanding of how things like his um, determinate sentences had so severely impacted that it was the wrong thing to have done. Tough on crime bills. Yes. And then he also um, talked a lot about um, how his, when he did the law that basically closed off all public access to police records, that it was the wrong thing to do. So when I was carrying, for example, the felony murder reform, which reformed California's really unfair felony murder rule, same year I was carrying the police records, he would call me. And he would say, don't weaken those. You know, in fact, one night he called me and he said, Skinner, don't you dare weaken that. Don't you know DAs are just politicians? <laughs> it's interesting. And I yeah. laughed and I said, well, Gov, it, pot calling the kettle black. Well, and I think, I mean, on that, I mean, I heard that the felony murder one, he really helped push over the finish line that there were some yes, he did. Democrats yes, he who, did. Were, who were on the fence. But I. I want to like that speaks to something I think about you that's really interesting is that I mean, you come from Berkeley, right? Like this is I mean, you come from an environmental background. You are one of the most liberal members up there, I guess, at time it, that, that all changes over time. But I, I think we can count her in, in the Mark Leno category. But you've always done a really good job of like being not just relevant legislatively, but also in bringing together coalitions. I mean, you mentioned that police uh, records bill, which is still being you know fought about in court. But I, I just wonder, like, what? How do you approach these types of things? Because I do think that you're unique in having maintained relationships, say, with police, even if they hate the legislation that you've pushed through. Well, I, 
So I think part of it's growing up in a household of 11 people. I mean, you just figure, you got to figure out how to get along. I mean, for a while, we lived in a really small house. And we only, I think one house, we only had one bathroom. I mean, you just really have to figure out it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one. And then my family, I mean, they have a lot of different views, as I described. My father, the what, you know. So I just, I'm a people person. I like people. And I... I've always been in a situation where I realized that you can't do things alone. You need a team. And uh, and so the more more of your legislators that are your colleagues and friends or more of your colleagues that you're friendly with, the easier it is to help to get them to help you get something across the finish line. Do you relish the politics of that? Like, do you enjoy that process? Well, it's funny. My first speaker, Karen Bass, when I first met her and after I got elected to the um, assembly, she sat me down and she said, so what are you, policy or politics? And I was like, oh, I'd never been asked that. I'm looking at her like, oh, you know, what? I I don't know. And I thought about it for a while and I looked at her and I go, politics, because that's the way I'm going to get good policy. And she said, right answer. Yeah. I want to ask you about a bill that uh, got a (laughs) lot of publicity (laughs) uh, over the past week, which is your uh, SB 206, the Fair Pay to Play Act, which is going to allow college athletes to make some money off endorsement deals. Um, First of all, um, did you think that the governor was, did you always think that the governor was going to sign that bill? Well, I was, from day one, I thought. I'm going to take that as a no. (laughs) From day one, I thought. If we, I like, okay, uh, USC and Stanford trustees, Billionaires Club, Nancy Skinner, you know, <laughs> so uh, which one's going to win? And I thought, I got to add a lot more to the Nancy Skinner equation <laughs> to get this one through. <laughs> so my staff and I were like, we've got to engage, you know, the LeBrons of the world, the Caitlin Ohashis. We got to engage that. Did level you know who of- LeBron was? I mean, are you a basketball fan? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Just checking. Just checking. Um, now, I'm a Warriors fan, but I still love LeBron. I mean, LeBron's the king. But, yeah, okay. anyway. All right. So <laughs> she, knows, I, she can talk. I yeah, was yeah, yeah. really clear to my staff, we have got to bring this to another level to succeed. Even if the let my colleagues in the legislature pass it, it's got to be to another level. So my staff were brilliant. I mean, they... When uh, LeBron put out that show, The Student Athlete, and was put out on HBO, we hadn't been able to get through to LeBron yet, so we contacted the HBO lobbyists. I mean, we did, uh, we just, you know, we did the six degrees of separation to get lots of people Did involved. you get a did signal th- from the governor that maybe, you know, Well, and did you, you think that bringing help? in celebrities was a good way to get Newsom's well, yes. attention? I yes. mean, Newsom particularly. Also, well, you, I mean, that wouldn't be a strategy to use for Governor Brown, for right. example. But for most governors, it is <laughs> well, the strategy. Well, may or may Brown, not know is, Brown is sort of the unique here. You know, Bring him a yeah. book. Yeah. Right, right. So, you know, we were around the newsroom here. We were uh, talking about uh, the bill signing uh, that was dramatically done uh, on TV with, with LeBron. LeBron. And where was Nancy Skinner when that was happening? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there was a little – I was supposed to have come in the studio at the point that he signed the bill. There was just a little hang-up between the person giving the monitoring to the moderator. So that kind of – So you're like happen. on the sideline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So what yeah. do you like- – Well, we've been hearing a lot of chatter, I think, on Twitter about, like, why don't the authors of bills always get the credit when the governor signs it? Suddenly it's Gavin Newsom did this thing. I mean, do you feel it all left out or do you feel – Well, you know, my staff and I, we're the ones who – 
got LeBron engaged. So we feel really good about that. And we really are appreciative that LeBron's folks decided to invite the governor. And what we are especially appreciative of that in that room was O'Bannon, was Caitlin Ohashi, the brilliant UCLA gymnast, Diana Tarazi, the UConn uh, basketball player who's now on the NWBA or WNBA. But her jersey at University of Connecticut is still the number one selling jersey there. So we loved that gathering. We just were a little sad that the snafu happened that I didn't get You're out. very diplomatic. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Maybe I, that but she still has a couple of bills before it Let's not forget. Yeah, right. Just following up on, uh, you know, kind of Marisa's suggestion there, do, what differences do you see between Governor Brown and Governor Newsom when it comes to working with you and your colleagues and, you know, giving you your fair share of credit? Um, well, Governor Newsom's the... His, for, for me anyway, his, um, a lot of his values, whether it's about early care and education or um, what, oh, when he suspended the executions, a whole variety of things that he did. Housing. Housing. You know, I felt that he, he just, his values are really aligned with mine. He's shown incredible courage. And his staff are very experienced, but not necessarily with each other. And so I think... There has been some growing pains there and that there hasn't always been the best communications with either individual legislators or those offices. It's improving. That's improving a great deal. Well, and Governor Brown um, has told us that when he was there the first time in 1975, he didn't know anything. And there's a real learning curve. Yes, yeah. there's a great learning curve. Especially and given that people like you have been there for over a decade. For right? sure. And then this year, look at it. It was like Governor Newsom was drinking from a fire hose. We had the fires. We had the PG&E um, bankruptcy. We've had so much. We, right. We're almost out of time, like oh. 10 seconds. But like, what do you do for Fun. Do you still bird watch? I bird watch. I garden. I cook some. She's uh, from Berkeley, after yeah. all. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm a bird watcher. Um, uh, I like to hike in our East Bay Hills. They're so incredible. And on our waterfront, all the all of the East Bay Regional Parks, I use them all the time. That's what I do for fun. All right. All right. Well, we'll take that. Uh, that sounds like fun. So good. Senator Skinner, thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate it. We could have talked to you about a lot of other things you've been working on. but uh, Still have three bills on his desk, All right. ten bills we'll, signed. We'll come back to you. <laughs> that does it for this edition of Political Breakdown. It's a production of KQED Public Radio. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. Our engineers are Rob Spate and Seal Muller. KQED's team includes Holly Kernan, Ethan Lindsay, and Vinny Tong. I'm Marisa Lagos. You can follow me. I'm on Twitter at MLagos. And I'm Scott Schaefer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Scott Schaefer. That is a wrap for this week's Political breakdown from KQED and next week we'll see you from Washington DC we'll be broadcasting the program from there we'll see you next time everybody I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just 
what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. <laughs>